Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Today we're going to look at grace. It really is amazing. If you look at the PowerPoint slide, the fellow you see there, his name is Chito Sangalang. He is crucifying himself or being crucified. He's in the Philippines. And Chito and ten other men are going through this crucifixion. And they were asked the question, why are you doing this? His response is, we're doing this for the people's sins, for our own repentance, and that in order that we could all be right with God. So Chito thinks that this crucifixion will in some way make him right with God. This next picture is a man celebrating Ramadan and praying during that time. You know, Ramadan is a fasting that the Islamic people do for one month. And why is he doing this month of fasting during the daylight hours? He's doing this as an act of obedience and submission to God, as well as an atonement for sins. He thinks that by observing this time of fasting, that he is some way making atonement for his personal sins. These two illustrations just point up the fact that most religions of the world deal with the subject of one's personal sins and how in some way they might get atonement, forgiveness for their sins. You look through the religions of ancient times as well as modern, and you find various ways that people are trying to deal with the sin problem. It seems that it's just innate within us to realize that we have offended God. We have offended the Supreme Being. No matter who or what we think that Supreme Being may be, there is just a sense within mankind that we have offended because of our actions, that supreme being, and there's something we must do to appease this divine being, or he will punish us. And naturally, the religions of the world, since it's man who has offended this divine being, the religions of the world think that man must do something to remedy this situation. He must do something to be acceptable to his God. And that brings us to that distinguishing factor about Christianity. And grace, it is really amazing. Paul, in our passage today in Colossians, turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Paul is going to talk about man's ruin, our ruin, and then God's remedy. We're going to be looking only at a few verses in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And in these verses we'll see indeed grace. It really is amazing. Stand in respect for the Word of God as we begin in verse 13. Paul writes, When you were dead in your transgressions, 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having counseled out the certificate of the debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. You may be seated. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the obeying of His Word. Now, Paul, first of all, deals with our ruin. He says in verse 12 that when you were dead, we saw last week that we're all born into this human race spiritually separated from God. Spiritually dead. And a part of spiritual death is the inability to respond to God separated from Him, helpless to do anything about that separation. And then Paul adds a second factor, dead in our transgressions. You see, what has caused this separation between us and God is our sin. Because God is holy and righteous, He will not tolerate sin. He will not have fellowship with sin. Isaiah 59, verse 2, God says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So we find ourselves in double trouble. First, we're spiritually dead, unable to respond to God. And secondly, we find ourselves in a state of sinfulness that causes a separation between us and a holy God. Now, that's what... Every religion of the world finds themselves in. But the difference is, in Christianity, God provides the remedy. All the other religions of the world, man tries to provide a remedy for his situation, which we know is impossible. But Paul tells us that God provides the remedy. First of all, look what he does. And when you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, what did God do? He made you alive together with Him. We saw last week that God imparts spiritual life to those that He's chosen from the foundation of the world. That He removes that separation between us and Himself. Now remember what caused that separation between us and God. Our sin. So if God's going to remove that separation, He's got to do something about the sin problem, right? Well, Paul says he's done that. Look at what he's done. He goes on to say, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now look at that word all. God does not just forgive a person his past transgressions when he becomes a Christian. No, he forgives him of his past, present, and future sin. God has already forgiven the Christian of every sin he will ever commit. God has already forgiven you, if you're a Christian, of every sin that you will ever commit. Well, then what I need to confess? Well, do you think you're telling God anything He doesn't know when you confess? You confess for yourself. You need the confession. You need to get it out in the open before God and appropriate the forgiveness that is already yours. Look at what uh, the Scripture says when He says, God has graciously removed the sin barrier. 
Again, in this word, look in the Scriptures, this word forgiven in verse 13. That word forgiven, the root of that Greek word is the word grace. Charis. Paul is saying that this forgiveness is rooted in God's grace. Well, you and I could do nothing to bring about this forgiveness. God did everything. Grace, it really is amazing. And then Paul gives us a word picture of how God accomplished our forgiveness in verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of the debt consisting of the decrees against us which were hostile to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And Paul is picturing our sins as a debt we owe. And as when you go and take a loan at the bank and you have to sign that loan, and that loan is a certificate of debt that you owe. Paul is saying that we have all sinned against God, and and therefore we owe God a debt. And this certificate is the debt of our sins that condemn us. And you and I, because of this debt of sin, deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. They are hostile to us. They condemn us. Now this word picture that Paul gives goes back to a practice in biblical days that when a person was crucified, they would write the sins or the offenses or the criminal acts of this person and they would nail those acts to the cross above his head. So that when somebody came by and saw this person being crucified, naturally you'd think, I wonder what he did. Well, you could look up and see the offenses that he had committed, the crimes that he had committed, and that's why he was being crucified. And so what we have the picture here is that God has taken that certificate of the sins that we have committed. We have violated the holy law of God. We have brought ourselves under condemnation. That which brought upon us the the results that we should have been nailed to the cross, He takes these certificate of sins and He nails them to Jesus' cross. You see that? And what He's doing is He's transferring our guilt to Jesus. You and I should have been on that cross with that certificate above our head stating all of our sins that have brought condemnation upon us and guilt, but instead He's put them above Jesus. And Jesus has borne our sins on the cross. And Paul says he has erased them. Notice in verse 14, having counseled out. That word literally means to rub out, to erase. Again, to understand the word, you need to go back to the days of Paul. In those days, they would write on papyrus or animal skins. Now, the ink in those days did not have acid in it as it does today, so it did not eat down into the paper. And so you could, by rubbing it, you could rub off the ink that was there and you could rewrite on the, the piece of parchment or the animal skin. And so this is the picture that he has. that Here we have all of our sins listed on the certificate of debt that condemns us. And what God does when He places it on the cross is He wipes it, He rubs it clean. So that when God sees our certificate of debt now in Christ, what does He see? He sees a clean slate. He sees nothing. It has been rubbed out. It has been counseled. 
And notice also it says, having taken them out of the way, in verse 14, having nailed it to the cross. He's taken it out of the way. That's in the perfect tense. That means it happened in past time, but the results are still effective in present time. Once and for all, He removed the debt. He wiped away our sins. He erased them by placing them on Jesus and giving us the perfect righteousness of Christ. Grace. It really is amazing, isn't it? And then we have four word pictures I want to look at for a moment in Scripture about forgiveness. Just to show you the richness of forgiveness. And we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a moment. You remember what Jesus said on that last night as He took the cup? He said, This is the blood of My covenant, which is shed for many for forgiveness of sins. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to be celebrating forgiveness today. And I want to add three, four more word pictures that the Scripture gives about God's forgiveness to help us understand it. To the one that Paul has given us so beautifully here of Christ taking our sins to the cross. The first one is found over in Psalm 103, verse 12. And that, he speaks about removing our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Now, how far is the east from the west? How far is the north from the south? North and south meet. You ever thought about that? You start going north right here in Mableton, Georgia. And you keep going north. You're going to eventually start going south. When? When you hit the North Pole. Once you hit the North Pole, you start heading down. So he didn't say he separated our sins as far from us as the north is from the south because they meet. But if you start going west toward California... And you keep going the same direction. Will you ever be going east? No. You'll always be going west. So you see, east and west never meet. There is an infinite distance between east and west. And he says that he has removed our sins from us an infinite distance. Now that's total forgiveness. Complete, unconditional God's not keeping the score with regard to our sins. Also in this same Psalm 103, look what he says. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our transgressions. Listen to that. God doesn't punish you because you sin. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. If God did, He would have to kill you. If God dealt with you according to your sins, then the next time you sin, He would have to strike you dead because that's what you would deserve. You say, preacher, does that mean I can just sin and, and, and nothing's going to happen? God doesn't punish, but He does discipline. But you say, even when He disciplines you because of something you may be doing that's sinful, He's not dealing with you according to that sin. He did, He'd kill you. He's dealing with you out of love. He's dealing with you to lovingly bring you back as a loving parent seeks to bring a child back to a righteous path. So God's not up in heaven tallying up your sins and when you get to a certain place, He says, okay, that's the final number. I'm going to zap you now and beat you around a little bit. Straighten you out. No, He doesn't work that way. Those whom He loves, the Scripture says, He disciplines. 
It's out of love. Indeed, grace is really amazing. Second picture is that God throws our sins behind His back. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen says, Lo, for my own welfare, I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Now, if you're walking down the road and you throw something behind your back, what does that mean? That means you're rid of it. That means you're not going to look at it anymore. You're not going to see it. Now, if you throw something in front of you, you may be throwing it out there to go get it. But if you throw it behind your back, you're done with it. You're saying, I'm through with this. I'm going to have nothing more to do with it. And that's what God says about our sins. Instead of seeing our sins, what does He see when He sees you? The righteousness of Christ, right? He doesn't see your sins. He's put those behind His back. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, doesn't mean He ignores our sin again, because He disciplines us when we sin, but not to punish us but to bring us back into fellowship with Him, which is best for us. Indeed, grace, it really is amazing. The third word picture added is the picture of blotting from the record. Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember them, and I will not remember your sins. Two things. Spoken of. First is a legal action. He wipes out our sins. That's a legal action. That's pardoning us. That's the Supreme Judge declaring us not guilty. But the remembering them no more is a relational act. It's the Father giving up all sense of being injured or offended by His child's sin. It is the Father's promise never to think about that child's sins again or ever bring up those sins to that child. That's what God says. I'm not only not going to bring up your sins to you, I'm not going to think about them. They're out of my mind. I remember them no more. Grace, it really is amazing, isn't it? And then the last one is found in Micah chapter 7. He speaks about hurling our sins into the sea. Micah 7.19, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Last February, as some of you know, I was on a cruise. And as I was in the Gulf of Mexico, and I went out on the cruise ship, and we were traveling from uh, uh, Cayman Islands back to Tampa, and I went out and was standing by the, the rail on the deck looking out at the ocean. And, you know, it is blue. You know, for an old Georgia boy that's used to going to the uh, Orlando Beach and, and I mean, excuse me, uh, Ormond Beach and, and where the water's brown, you know, it's amazing when you get out there, it really is blue. You know, a beautiful color blue. But I was just looking down there and, and looking probably a hundred feet down at the ocean and thought, you know, wouldn't it be awful if my wedding... Rain slipped off and, and fell in there? Or my glasses fell off or fell in there? Because they'd be gone forever. Because they'd sink and who knows how many feet there are to the bottom there. Well, that's what God's done about our sins. He has hurled them into the sea. And take my word for it, they don't float. They sink like a rock. Now, He doesn't say that our sins slip into the sea. 
No. He hurls them into the sea. Never to be retrievable. Never to be brought up. They're gone. Forever. In the depths of the ocean. Out of sight. Unable to bring them back up. They're gone. Forever. Grace. It really is amazing. Isn't it? Past. Present. Future. All those sins for the child of God have been hurled into the depths of the ocean. God has completely removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. He's erased them. He's blotted them out. He remembers them no more. And it's all because of grace. Nothing we can do. Everything God has done. Grace. It really is amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank You for that forgiveness that is complete and irreversible in the Lord Jesus. That You do not deal with us according to our sins, but according to Christ's righteousness. As we celebrate His death, may we celebrate the forgiveness that is ours because of His death. In His name, Amen. we we'll ask our deacons to come and take their place on the front pew as we prepare to partake of the Lord's table. We will have a time of examination as we are commanded by Scripture to do. You know, the Scripture tells us that unless we partake of the, unless we partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner and thereby bring judgment upon ourselves, we need to examine ourselves and make sure that we're not taking it in an unworthy manner. And I think there are two things involved. First, we need to examine ourselves in relationship to God. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is it any area of your life that you're not desiring to surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Be it your finances, be it your marriage, be it your children, be it your work situation, whatever it is. is are you willing and desiring to surrender it to God? To have His way, to have His will. Is there any sin you're trying to hold on to by maybe rationalizing, well, that's not sin, everybody does it, or just trying to, to hide it from God? We're going to give you a few moments to deal with those issues, if there are, and confess those to God. And then we need to talk about our relationship to other people, the horizontal relationship. Are you holding and harboring any bitterness or any unforgiving spirit toward anyone? Maybe somebody's hurt you deeply. Have you chosen to let go of that hurt? Have you chosen to trust God to heal your heart? That doesn't mean you have to be totally healed at this point, but it means you're willing and you're asking God to heal you. You're not holding on to that grudge, to that bitterness. Let's spend some time in prayer before the Lord. Father, I pray Your Spirit would just look into our hearts, look into our souls. Try us and test us And show us if there is any sinful way within us. 